You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we've had a little bit of time to peruse some of the clips and review some things and go over some things. I know last time I really liked Jordan Love, and then I kind of, you know, came down a little bit. That didn't happen this time. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it's nice to kind of take a day, see all the different clips that get thrown up. And of course, you get the additional context from PFF, not just the grades, but the stats to kind of to kind of peruse through. Now, PFF has been an absolute thorn in my side today. I don't know exactly what their problem is. Um, Things are slowly, slowly, painfully trickling out. Um, It is 6 o'clock p.m., and it's still not out yet. Um, It's been, it's said that the grades have been done basically since, uh, let me just see here, Still no defensive grades. Now, you can find them if you search them individually or if you look at, for example, their run defense grade. So it's all there, but it's just not everywhere. So I don't know what their deal is. They've got a really stupid system, and it's just kind of dumb. But anyways, it makes it a little bit more complicated to piecemeal your way through everything. I can't even really tell you right now uh, who had the highest defensive grades. Maybe I can. I don't know. I think I know. But it's just it's just kind of stupid. But let me just quickly summarize for you. The defense wasn't as good. And the offense was dragged by Justin Fields. That's the summary. The defense wasn't elite. And the offense was dragged by Justin Fields. That's it. We can wrap this up. We're all done. That's the whole thing. But anyways, why don't we start with what we do know? First of all, a little bit on the Chicago Bears. Roquan Smith is back. Uh, it sounds like Roquan is not willing to take this all the way. He's not willing to sit out. He played chicken with the team, and the team won, which is what's usually going to happen. Most of the time, the team wins. Kind of what we saw with Aaron Rodgers, right? They they played chicken, Packers held their ground, and Rodgers was like, fine, I'll play. I wanted to play anyway. I don't even care. I'll do whatever I want. And then right now, I feel like playing. So Roquan did the same thing. He, he said, I'm, I'm not playing, I'm not practicing, I'm not coming. Team's like, all right, well, um, here's an offer. What do you think? He's like, it's not good enough. It's garbage. But uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll show up, but I'm not practicing. I'll show up and sign autographs and stand there and stuff. Okay, sounds good. I'll, I'll see you when you get here. All right, well, I'm here, and I would like you to trade me because I've, I've had enough. This is garbage. I want out. Nope. Nope, we're not doing that. You sure? Because I'm going to call around right now and see who's interested. Well, that's that's illegal, and you're not allowed to do that, so... Um, all right. Now what do we do? Well, no, you could get your pads and go back to work. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll do that. 
<laughs> it sounds like that's essentially what happened. He's just going to go back to work. So he will play out, um, you know, obviously this, essentially we're just pushing this back. Next year, this whole conundrum will will come to a head. But for this year, he's just going to play out his contract and either they will extend him or try to trade him. Maybe a uh, franchise thing, kind of similar to Devontae, where they'll franchise him and maybe they'll get a trade partner, maybe not, I don't know. But the two awful scenarios that they were facing, we don't we don't get any of those, so that sucks. But we will next year. Anyways, um, additionally, there was a nugget dropped by Adam Schefter. Now I know not a very popular guy. Um, track record, you know, I don't know. I, 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 some people say it's better than others. Uh, he he did an interview today for me, yesterday for you on uh, ESPN Chicago. Right before this, by the way, which must have been minutes before the whole Roquan thing went down, they asked him about Roquan, and he said he thinks something will get done soon. So he's got that figured out, because that's technically what happened. He said it's, the season's getting close. I mean, you know, obviously it's simple enough, but if you're going to take the simple route, you wouldn't go this route. He's speaking about offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins. Um, here's what he had to say. Talking to I teams. still think he'll be traded. I, you yeah, do? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think that they're trying to get the best out of him right now. If you don't coach him up and show yeah. that he can play inside or out, then what do you have? My belief is that they'll wind up trading him before the final roster cut down day or right around there, if not before. Okay. Uh, my guess would be that he's not a bear this season. Wow. And uh, we'll see where they move him and what they get from him. I don't think it'll, it won't be what they invested in him. No. But it'll be something. Fourth fifth round yeah maybe, probably yeah. fifth round something yeah. or something so, so moving him to guard is really just trying to show, show that he could do more and make him to other teams more maybe appealing to other yeah teams. probably or maybe they're stuck with him and you know maybe they want to look at him at other positions but i think they'll move him wow would be my guess so here, here's the thing again if you're going to take the easy route that's not the easy route because i i'm going to go out on a limb i'm not adam Schefter. i don't get the phone calls and the text messages he does i would be stunned if they traded Tevin Jenkins at this point. Happy, but stunned. Because I, I, I just, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I got it at first. It made, I, again, the thing I love about Poles, unfortunately, is that he is not going to be beholden to the mistakes of the previous administration, which there were many. And when the guy is, you know, third string whatever, yeah, g- get him out of here. He's dead weight. Right now, he's first string right guard. Which, to be fair, that's what a lot of people said he should have done anyways. I, I know there was a, uh, forget who it was, there was a Packer that did a, or a Packers reporter guy, um, blogger, podcast, or whatever, one, one of us, I don't know. He did a write-up on him as, as a prospect and basically said, the, the guy's never going to make it as a tackle, but he'd be a pretty good guard. He's just a, a mean, physical guy. And you add in that tackle athleticism and you've got a, a, a guy that can play guard really well and has that athleticism, which is always nice. Nice little perk. And so they, they moved him inside, and by all accounts, he did well. Graded out fairly well. Why trade him? Well, they're just doing that to showcase him. Why? If you're showcasing him because you think he's good, why don't you keep him? If he's not good, why are you showcasing him? Because it's not going to increase his value. Beyond that, shouldn't you be concerned with giving guys that you actually want on your team starter reps instead of Tevin Jenkins? Also, if you're, out, if you're just showcasing the guy, why did you pull him so early? You put him out with the starters, and then you pulled him. He played significantly less snaps this week than he did last week. Why would you do that? 
So that is uh, breaking news via Adam Schefter that I I think he will be wrong about. I I, I will happily accept that if it happens, but I, I don't. I would be stunned. And finally, it should very clearly be reported that after week two, Jordan Love has a higher grade than Justin Fields through two weeks. <laughs> Justin Fields right now is ranked 18th out of 60 quarterbacks. Jordan Love, 14th. Love not only leapfrogged Justin Fields after this performance, he leapfrogged uh, Danny Etling, who was crushing it as of last week. He may also go up significantly after this because most of the quarterbacks that are ahead of him have not played yet um, or are currently playing. For example, Kellen Mond had the third highest overall grade. I'm looking at his box score stats right now as the game is going on, and I'm seeing four of eight for 30 yards and a pick, 19.8 passer rating. He may drop a little bit. Mr. Fields had himself a bad day, which is nice because, again, Jordan Love didn't have the greatest day. He had like a 58 overall grade week one. And so you got to kind of eat dirt and whatnot. And lo and behold, Justin Fields had a 54 overall grade. So I've been having some fun with Bears fans. I know it doesn't really mean all that much, but I'm still enjoying it because they're miserable right now. <laughs> also, uh, something pretty significant just popped up. Sorry, I keep talking about the Bears, but it just, it just, it's just how it goes, man. Uh, Khalil Herbert was carted off in practice. Don't have any updates on that, but obviously when the cart comes out, it's worrisome. Uh, Herbert, not talked about very much. Second year running back was, I think, significantly better than the running back that they're always bragging about. Actually quite talented. So be interested to see uh, what's up with that. Anyways, let's, uh, let's get started with um, reviewing some of this data. First of all, both quarterbacks graded out great. Um, Danny Etling, 78.8 overall grade. Granted, again, didn't do very much, but when you take off running, for a 51-yard touchdown, and that's basically all you do for the night. You can assume you're going to get a good grade. Jordan Love, the stats, again, don't look great. Not his fault, despite Bears fans screaming that it absolutely was his fault, and guys dropping the passes are somehow his fault. I don't know. Saying the passes are out of guys' reach, which they weren't. Whatever. Um, but 82.6 overall grade, 79.9 passing grade, Three big-time throws in this game, zero turnover-worthy plays, which is just as incredible as the, the big-time throws. That is a lot, by the way, three of them. Zero turnover-worthy plays. Not a, not a single one put in harm's way. Um, again, the, the stats don't look great, but if you look at, for example, his yards per attempt, 4.7. Well, that's terrible. Yeah, well, his average depth of target was 8.5. What's the difference? Well, you take the actual yards divided by the attempts, you get yards per attempt. Average depth of target is just how far you threw it. So if somebody drops a 50-yard pass, that will show up on average depth of target. It will not show up on yards per attempt. Um, His adjusted completion percentage was 66.7% as opposed to the 50% because, again, the drops, there are four of them, by the way, which accounts for 25% of his passes. That's two weeks in a row. 23.5% of his passes last week, 25% of his passes this week have been dropped. Eight passes, 24.2% of all of his passes this preseason have been dropped. That's that's out of control. Again, there's a lot of guys that haven't had uh, their second games yet, but the second highest amount of drops for anybody is five. That was uh, Geno Smith and Bailey Zappi, both of whom have played um, two games so far. So we'll, we'll see how this, you know, turns out with some of these guys that are going into their second games, but I would not be surprised if by the end of this, he has the most drops in terms of quantity and as a percentage of anybody so far. 
Um, his time to throw, 2.77 seconds. Two scrambles. He got eight first downs. If you look at the passing depth, this is an area where he absolutely is thriving, which is important. Again, and I'm going to compare him to Justin Fields, not because I'm just super angry at the guy, but it's just it's just a comparison. One of the things that would make me nervous if I was a Bears fan is the fact that anything positive that he does seems to be very close to the line of scrimmage. You start getting deep passing, it becomes a problem. Jordan Love, it's not a problem. It was actually his, his highest graded area. You could say, well, yeah, you generally have higher grades on deep passes because they're bigger plays, but 95.8 overall grade. That's really high. Three attempts, one completion, two drops. You know what that means? 100% adjusted completion rate. He threw three deep passes. All of them were on target. Average depth of target on these throws was 30 yards. Under pressure, very night and day for Jordan Love. He had a 91.8 overall grade when he was clean, 46.5 while under pressure. Six of his dropbacks, he was under pressure. He threw the ball four times and completed one pass. One of those was dropped, which gives him an adjusted completion percentage of just 50%. However, from a clean pocket, 11 completions on 20 attempts, 96 yards and a touchdown. His adjusted completion percentage, because there were three drops, was 70%. Something else that's a little bit interesting and something to maybe keep an eye on, um, Jordan Love, 66.8 overall grade when not using play action, 95 overall grade while using play action. They only did it 22% of the time, but he was 4 of 6 for 52 yards. When you add in the one drop that he had, he actually had an adjusted completion percentage of 83.3%. So basically, he was just killing him with play action. So overall, again, fantastic day, and I stand by my overall assessment of it. Yes, I'm going to overreact to a good day because I'm happy for the guy, and I'm a Packer fan, and that's what you're supposed to do. But the fact remains, you know, I, I saw somebody on Twitter highlight the throw that he made in the end zone, which did fall incomplete, but it was an incredible throw. And the caption was something to the effect of, you know, Justin Fields could never or something like that. And underneath it, there were people posting videos of Justin Fields essentially making that throw. The point is, even really bad quarterbacks, Trubisky, I'm sure, has made throws like that. Even really bad quarterbacks have a couple of those in their repertoire or in their resume, I guess. It's about consistency. So it's not something you dock Jordan Love for. It's a matter of, in order to be considered a good quarterback, you have to do what you did yesterday, this past week, consistently. So that's one. Or you could call it two if you really thought, you know, week one was, was a phenomenal thing. But you just have to keep doing it. And, and there's, there's no way to assess, yes, he's the guy now. You can't do that. He could have been even more flawless with zero mistakes, and you still can't fully assess it. Because the quality of his career is not going to be determined until his career is done. And his quality as a quarterback isn't going to be assessed until he's had a, at least a season. But even then, you, you've got some weird stuff that's happened. You know, I think about Lamar Jackson as a great example. His first year, and he didn't play the full year, but he was like the worst quarterback I've ever seen. That playoff game was the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. The next year, he won MVP. And then after that, he completely fell off. Not, not as bad as he was before, but clearly not as good as he was before either. I, don't, I have no idea what Lamar Jackson is. I don't know what a lot of these guys are. I don't know what Kyler Murray is. The first year, the guy could run around like crazy, but he couldn't throw to save his life. The next year, he was actually an extremely good thrower. He had a 49 overall rushing grade. He was horrible. Every time he ran around, he just lost 15 yards. I don't know what he's going to be. He's been in the league two years as a starter. I don't know anything about Kyler Murray. We've seen a lot of Kyler Murray. 
I don't even know if I know what Kirk Cousins is. That guy's been in the league for 50 years. I don't know. He was a he was a mid-tier guy for a really long time while in Washington. He went to Minnesota. I think he's actually quite good. But also there's something not quite right, and I don't know what it is, and I don't know where you put the guy on a list of quarterbacks. And on one hand, I think the Vikings are stupid for wanting to get rid of him. On the other hand, it's like I kind of get it. I mean, again, going back to Trubisky, we saw that guy for three or four years. And in like his fourth year, I remember thinking, I don't know, maybe he'll break out. You never know. Josh Allen was terrible for two years. He was a joke. I mean, people people, probably myself included, I don't specifically remember doing it, but just making fun of the guy. Like, oh yeah, you drafted this guy because he's got a big arm. Wow, that was genius. He's a bum. Then they go out and get him a, a wide receiver from Minnesota and everything changes. Oh man, George Pickens caught a six-yard pass. I was hoping he'd go with zero receptions, so he just didn't have to hear anything about him. Like, ha ha, you bum. I just don't want to hear... I, you know, I, I shouldn't be mean to Pickens. I just... I'm sure that six-yard pass is going to end up being all over like ESPN is the greatest reception that has ever happened in the history of the universe. Just don't want to deal with it. Anyways, what was I talking about? Oh, Jordan Love, right? It's, I don't know, man. What has Jimmy Garoppolo's career been? One of the greatest backups of all time that went went on to be a starter for the first time and was automatically the highest paid ever. When he played for the 49ers, the 49ers were Super Bowl contenders, but everybody kind of acknowledged he wasn't that great, except when he didn't play, the team was like a three-win franchise. So how do you explain that? I don't know. Plus, he's hurt all the time. So how does that factor in? I have no idea. I don't know what Dak Prescott is. Is he a mediocre quarterback, subpar quarterback, great quarterback? I don't know. I feel like at first it was kind of like everybody really liked him, and now it's nobody talks about him ever. You know, I, I had a pretty good idea of, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady. I think I got it. They've been pretty consistent in what they do, you know, with fluctuations, but generally you get it. But I think a lot of quarterbacks, I just, I don't know what they are. So I guess what I'm saying is we can't put Jordan Love in a box because of one preseason game, good or bad. We can't as much as we want to, but it's just a step. That's it. It's one step in the right direction. Next time you get an opportunity, do it again. And the next time, do it again. And the next time, do it again. And if you do that enough times, guess what? You suddenly became a great quarterback. If you do it inconsistently, you're a garbage quarterback. And that's it. That's the whole thing. Anyways, on to the receivers, or I guess we'll call it receiving grades because that includes running backs and tight ends as well. All of the highest graded players overall, not necessarily receiving grade, but overall, between wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs, all of them were tight ends. Sal Canella was the highest graded. Yes, he only played four snaps, but on those four snaps, he had one target, one reception for 13 yards. Nate Becker, who played one snap, <laughs> I guess I don't know that. He played one receiving snap. Maybe he was in on some run plays. One target, one reception, two yards. And then Josiah DeGuara, two targets, one reception, 11 yards. There is one other tight end. He was obviously dead last with a 25 overall grade, but Sal Canella, 82.6, Nate Becker, 80.6, Josiah DeGuara, 73.9. The only other guy with a positive grade was Tyler Goodson, the running back, 72.9. After that was another running back, Patrick Taylor, 66.4. So you kind of get what I'm saying when I tell you that, according to PFF, Jordan Love kind of dragged this team. Because Jawan Winfrey had a 63 overall grade, Romeo Dobbs, 62, Amari Rogers, 57, Dexter Williams, 46, Samori Turi with a 44 overall grade, and then Tyler Davis, 25 overall grade. But the receivers, none of them really graded out very well. Uh, a couple slightly interesting nuggets. Uh, Amari continues to exclusively be a slot guy, 84% out of the slot, 16% out wide. 
Sal Canella, 75%, three of his four um, were in the slot. One of them was out wide, so zero in line for Sal Canella. He is purely a receiving tight end, as I've been saying this whole time. Uh, Tyler Davis, who cares? I'm not even going to go over it because I'm not talking about him anymore. I probably will, but I don't want to. Josiah DeGuara, 28% slot, 14% out wide, 57% in line, and just all kind of down from there. So a lot of the wide receivers are, you know, Juwan, Toure, Dobbs. They're pretty exclusively boundary guys. I mean, they get moved around. Everybody gets moved around, but pretty exclusive. Uh, yards per route run, Sal Canella led the team at 4.33, followed by Nate Becker at 2, for obvious reasons. Ran one route and <laughs> went for two yards. Uh, everybody else fairly low. Longest reception of the day was Jawan Winfrey for 21 yards. Shouldn't have been, but it was. Um, drops on the day, two for Romeo Dobbs, one for Dexter Williams, one for Samori Ture. Contested catches, though. Um, there were five opportunities for contested catches. Jawan Winfrey had a contested catch opportunity. He did not catch it. Amari Rogers had two contested catch opportunities. He didn't catch either of them. Romeo Dobbs, two opportunities, two catches, 100%. So kind of redeemed himself on that one a little bit. Fumbles, obviously, uh, the man who shall remain not named. Um, Missed tackles forced, two of them by anybody. Tight ends, running backs, receivers in, in the passing game. Both missed tackles forced came on the same play, both of them by Sal Canella. <laughs> it's funny because I mentioned it on the stream, somebody had said Sal Canella just broke more tackles wearing the number 80 jersey than Jimmy Graham did in two years playing here or whatever. First downs, Romeo Dobbs got two, Juwan Winfrey two, Tyler Goodson, Sal Canella, and Josiah DeGuara each had one. And then finally looking at passer rating, Sal Canella, number one, 118.8, Romeo Dobbs, 111.7, Tyler Goodson, 108.3. Those are the guys that cracked 100. Oh, and then penalties, only one penalty. Wild guess who that was. Wild guess whether that called back a pretty major play. Yes to both. I'm sure you can guess, and yes, it was. <laughs> I swear. I'm not saying his name. I'm not doing it. Don't want to. Uh, rushing grades finally got somebody with a positive rushing grade. I thought Tyler Goodson earned it last week, but PFF disagreed. He had a 75.4 rushing grade, 73 basically overall, 42 yards, 4.7 yards per attempt, 1.33 yards after uh, contact per attempt. Longest carry was 15 yards. He got two first downs in the game. Patrick Taylor was the next highest graded, 66 overall, 67 rushing grade, um, eight attempts for 27 yards, 3.4 yard average, 2.13 yards after contact per attempt. He is the more physical runner of the group, I think. One missed tackle forced. His longest was only five yards, though, which is kind of the problem. He's, he's, sort, of, uh, he's sort of a lesser version of Jamal Williams, in my opinion. Jamal, I never thought was the greatest runner. Great human being, but he kind of was sort of a close your eyes and smash into the guy in front of you. But Taylor's just, a again, a lesser version of that. He's not nearly as good as Jamal. He's not as powerful. He's not as good of a runner, et cetera, et cetera. At least from what we've seen so far in the preseason. I'm not trying to dog the guy overall. Um, also got two first downs. And then my man Dexter, five attempts, 24 yards, 4.8 yards per attempt. But... Grade-wise, 46.5 overall, 57.1 rushing grade. Um, presumably, that's a blocking issue for Dexter. Or, uh, no, you know what? It's a receiving issue, 25.8 receiving grade. But uh, 1.4 yards per attempt after contact, no missed tackles forced, no, uh, his longest carry was 9 yards, so no 10-plus yard breakaway runs or anything. Still, don't care. Don't care. I like Dex, it's just how it goes. 
And then finally, and in my opinion, probably most importantly, because these are the guys that are actually starting, and it's just exciting to kind of go through this, blocking. Um, highest graded blocker, highest offensive grade overall, maybe highest grade overall. Let me see if uh, the defensive grades are here in in its entirety yet. It is. All right. So second highest overall grade, Zach Tom. Zach Tom had an 84.5 overall grade, 84.1 run blocking grade, 82.5 pass blocking grade. The biggest thing, it's not just the 80s, which are great. 80 overall grades are great. The biggest thing that I love about this is the fact that he graded out well as a run blocker and pass blocker, which is so incredibly rare. Usually, most of the time, most guys do not grade out positively in both categories, especially two weeks in a row. Zero. So let let me put it this way. Only twice in the last two weeks has any offensive lineman graded out positively in both run blocking and pass blocking. Only twice, and both times it was Zach Tom. Zero other offensive linemen have done that. Not once. Every other person had a, a, if they had a a good blocking grade in any category, it was only one category. Jake Hansen, run blocking. John Runyon, pass blocking. Uh, Yash Nyman, pass blocking. Caleb Jones, pass blocking. Patrick Taylor, the running back, pass blocking. But that's the thing. Even the running backs and stuff, everybody, it's just one category. And you get excited about that one. The other one's kind of average, but that's fine. You're great in one, average in the other, that's a good day. Zach Tom has been great in both categories two weeks in a row. He's never been anything other than great. Yes, I know it's preseason. Yes, I know this is very similar to what Royce did last year. So, you know, we're kind of looking at it going, okay, maybe he's just sort of Royce, which is to say he's start-worthy, but he's going to completely drop off when he goes into the regular season. Entirely possible. It is worth noting, Royce didn't exactly do this last week or, or last year, although it was close. They had nearly identical week one, you know, Royce week one last year, Zach Tom week one this year, almost identical. However, Royce Newman, 63 overall pass blocking grade in week two. The biggest test is going to be week three because that was Royce's best week. 91 overall grade, 88 run blocking, 79 pass blocking. The guy was pretty dominant. But but here's the thing. It's not even so much how much it translates or that anything has to be exactly the same. It doesn't. There could be a guy that's not doing great in the preseason that's going to go on to have a great regular season. That's not the point, though. The point is... Royce won the job in the preseason. Those grades are real, and those grades demonstrated to the Packers, this guy's real, and we got to find a spot for him, and that's what Zach Tom is doing. He's doing the same thing Royce did when Royce won a job on the offensive line. He won it. That's the bottom line, and so now Zach Tom is doing it. So before we go on through the rest of the grades, somebody had mentioned this that I hadn't considered, and I think it actually makes a ton of sense. I, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but it's something I haven't really entertained, and I do think it would be my preference, primarily because I'm not a huge Royce fan, but I understand whatever. The The assumption is always, we've got David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, those are the tackles, that's locked in. John Runyon is essentially locked in at left guard. Josh Myers is definitely locked in as our center. That's not really, none of that is is seen as debatable. And so the question is, would they consider moving on from Royce? Well, the problem is Zach Tom is not even getting opportunities to play at guard. He played the entire game, in fact, 75 snaps through the, the preseason. Every single one of them is at right tackle. They have not done anything but put him at right tackle. Why? Why would they not even give him the opportunity? He's earning a spot on this roster. Why would they not give him the opportunity to even try? Here's the funny thing. Who's he competing with right now at right tackle? The starting right tackle is Royce Newman. The second string right tackle is Zach Tom. Again, the assumption is once Elton comes back, Royce kicks inside, so it doesn't matter. It's not really a competition because Royce is the right guard. 
But what if he isn't? What are the odds that Elton Jenkins plays right guard this year? And that the battle for right tackle between Royce Newman and Zach Tom is very real. And that the possibility, long shot, but possibility, and the reason they're really hammering Zach Tom at right tackle, right tackle, right tackle, is because they're strongly considering the possibility of putting Zach Tom as our right tackle coming into the future and putting Elton Jenkins at right guard. Knowing that Elton Jenkins would be a dominant right guard. And here's the thing, that wouldn't be day one. That's just, that's just when this thing is fully fleshed out. But what does that mean? It means that, that Zach Tom would be our right tackle, Elton Jenkins would be our left tackle. So it would be Elton Jenkins, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, Zach Tom. And to be honest, that can, that, the, the competition may continue at that point. If, if Zach Tom's not getting the job done, you, well, you, you could either put Yash in there or... If you don't want to do that, once David Bakhtiari comes back, you just say, okay, bye, Zach Tom. We're going to just shift things the way that they were. We're going to put Elton in your spot. We're going to put Bakhtiari there. Thanks for your service. We're excited about you. We can't wait to do whatever. But it's going to be decision time if Zach Tom is dominating the right tackle spot. You're going to be analyzing the right side of the line. Who's doing better, Royce at right guard or Zach Tom at right tackle? Because one of those guys has to go. And again, I, I, I know the assumption is we're going to put him at right tackle, and it sounds like Elton is practicing at right tackle. Everything he's doing is right tackle. But I'm, I'm just saying it's at least worth considering. Even if the Packers aren't considering it, I think they should, because to me, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know why in the world Zach Tom would be doing so well, and you're not putting him in a position to win a spot. And again, if we assume that the right tackle spot is not up for grabs, then we're not giving Zach Tom a spot to win a starting spot on the roster. If he's auditioning for a spot, he's auditioning for right tackle because that's the only place he's played. Why? Are they giving him a legitimate shot? If they are, they're telling us right now that the right tackle spot is up for grabs. If it's not up for grabs, they are not giving him an opportunity. They should be putting him in at guard, and they aren't. So it's one of those two things. They're either not giving him a real chance, and they're playing him at tackle because they want him to be maybe the next third or, yeah, I guess the third tackle. You know, maybe you're better than Yash or whatever. Or the fourth tackle. I don't know. Maybe maybe they just see him as like a long-term grooming thing. Yeah, he, he's a tackle. We like him at tackle. We don't like him at guard. So we'll, we'll, we'll put him there. We'll keep grooming him. And who knows, maybe someday in the, in the not-too-distant future, next year or two years, however long, he ends up taking over for Bakhtiari. Maybe that's the Packers' plan. But I'm just saying, as, as good as he's playing, I don't know how you don't at least maybe think about it. We hear about all the shuffling and all this stuff, but when it comes time for preseason, Zach Tom has played one position, and he has crushed it at that position. So, I don't know. Anyways, George Pickens update. Still one reception, six yards. Burn. Um, continuing on, let's do... Um, do, 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 do. I guess we'll keep it with overall grades just because that makes the most sense. We'll do that for now. We'll go through this a couple different ways. Um, the next highest was Jake Hansen. So, Zach Tom, 84.5 overall grade. Jake Hansen... 73.6. He played center and guard. He actually played more snaps than anybody. So you want to talk about giving somebody a legitimate shot? Jake Hansen's that dude. Um, somebody had mentioned Jake Hansen is kind of the uh, the new Lucas Patrick. I think that's exactly right. He's, he's your center guard guy that is just extremely valuable because he has that flexibility. Anywhere along the interior that you lose a guy and Jake Hansen comes in. So can he be quite as good? I don't know, but I think that's exactly what he is. But they're, they're giving him a ton of opportunities. Again, center and right guard he played. Run blocking, 74.3 overall grade. Pass blocking, 63.1. He did give up one hurry. Not the end of the world, but that explains the grade, I guess. After that, the next highest would be Mr. Yash Nyman, 73.1 overall grade. 
65.5 run blocking, 82.5 pass blocking. Um, after that, you got John Runyon, 71.9 overall grade, 80.9 pass blocking, 67.4 run blocking. Not at all surprised. That, that is John Runyon every day. John Runyon is the most consistent guy in the world. He's got an, a dominant pass blocking grade and a... I'm going to look at it. I want to look at this. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's... I'm wrong about this, but I feel like every time I talk about John Runyon, it's a run blocking grade in the 60s, pass blocking grade is 70s, 80s. Yep. Last week, 58.9, so pretty... We'll call it 60. 60 overall grade run blocking, 81.2 pass blocking. This week, 80.9. So 80, 81 and 81 <laughs> pass blocking. Last year during the season... Very inconsistent. He had some pretty bad games, but there was a lot of games that fit the criteria. The only difference, though, and we'll call this a benefit, it wasn't 60s, it was 50s for run blocking. Um, Let's see, week four, 58 to 79. Week five, 54, 79. Week 10, 53, 77. Week 11, 55, 70. Week 17, 64, 73. And then the game against San Francisco, 48, 76. A couple other similar against Detroit, 56-87. Baltimore, 47-88. I mean, it's sometimes a little higher, a little lower, but he, he is the most consistently subpar to average run blocker and good to real good pass blocker. Just wildly consistent with that. It's hilarious. And again, I'm, I'm 100% on board with it. Uh, Caleb Jones did a complete 180. Some of the other guys may have as well, but you remember Caleb Jones, dominant, dominant run blocker, last week, but actually really terrible pass blocking grade that he had. It was a 91 run blocking grade and a 51 pass blocking grade. This week, 83 pass blocking grade, 63 run blocking, which is actually kind of awesome. I know Caleb Jones is a massive long shot. I mean, he's just this big ogre looking. I mean, probably doesn't have the movement skills that you'd like to see, but you can't not root for a guy that's that big and that strong and that powerful. And the fact that, I mean, when I saw his grade last week, I said, that's all he's ever going to be. In the back of my head, it's like, that's just what he's going to be. He's a road grader, but he's not going to be able to handle pass rushers. And, and maybe certain pass rushers, that's true. But for him to correct it the very next week and, and be one of the top pass blockers, that's kudos to him. After that, you got Royce Newman, 64 overall grade, 66 run blocking, but a 55 pass blocking grade, which is not super fantastic. He did give up a hurry in the game. Uh, after that, you got Michael Manette. 60 overall grade, 59 run blocking, 68 pass blocking. Did not get a lot of opportunity. Probably not a great sign for Michael Manette that they're just not putting him on the field, like at all. Same goes for Ty Clary. Played six snaps, 59 overall grade, 59 run blocking, 68 pass blocking. Basically identical to Michael Manette, probably because didn't play very much. Um, Starting to get into the slightly negative now, Cole Van Lannan, although there's still a, a, a positive glimmer of hope here. 59 overall grade, 50 run blocking, but 85.5 pass blocking grade. That's pretty exciting stuff. Again, we'll get into what position they played in momentarily, but it's going to be hard to remember all that, so I'm just going to go through that at once. Uh, Josh Myers, similar, 49 overall grade, which is not good. 44 pat run blocking grade, which is really not good. 77 pass blocking grade, which is quite good. I will say, I know it wasn't all bad for Josh Myers because I saw somebody highlight some kind of a rushing play, and I watched it. And it looked to me like Josh Myers actually did a pretty pretty good job. I don't know. I mean, it, it's a Coach Hahn thing. I don't know how long you need to stay engaged with this guy or what you need to do before you get up to the next level. But I watched him get up to the next level. I watched him wall off the linebacker and create a lane. So great job there by Josh on that one play, at least. In my oh-so-humble opinion. Um, and then finally, Sean Ryan, who was the one player that did not do well in either category. 42.2 
Um, overall grade, 49 run blocking grade, and a 17.6 pass blocking grade. I don't know yet. We will double back and check this, but I would not be at all surprised if he is the worst pass blocker in all of all of the preseason right now. 15.3 over or pass blocking grade last week, 17.6 this week. That is, I mean, right now he has an 11.4 pass blocking grade. Well, I can report that's actually the second worst. <laughs> Logan Bruss, good Lord. I've never seen anything like this before. Logan Bruss, who is a rookie third-round pick. Uh, unfortunately, a Wisconsin Badger. The Badgers are struggling, man. Those guys are struggling with the pass block and stuff. Well, I guess Cole Van Landing did it. Um, through two weeks, he has a 1.7 pass blocking grade. <laughs> Jeez. But, uh, yeah, Sean Ryan is um, second worst so far. Oh, I'm sorry. It didn't take into account Logan Bruss's second game. He had a 1.7 the first week, a 16.7 the second week. So he's up to a 2.6 overall pass blocking grade for Logan Bruss. Well done, sir. Anyways, looking at the pressures and whatnot, only three pressures given up by the offensive line, one by Royce, one by Yash, one by Jake Hansen. Uh, Looking at positions, left tackle, Yash Nyman, 36, Caleb Jones, 27. That's it. So they they seem to really be kind of and I suppose it makes sense for for a game. You don't want to shuffle things too much. You want these guys to practice and be prepared to play this position. But um, that's it for left tackle. Yash, and then that was followed by Caleb Jones, and that was it. At left guard, you had Cole Van Lannan almost the whole game, aside from John Runyon. So Runyon came in. They pulled him after 17 snaps. Cole Van Lannan took over basically the rest of the game until at the very end, Ty Clary came in for his six snaps, and then they got him out of there. At center, same thing. Josh Myers got his 17 snaps, and they pulled him. Jake Hansen took over uh, the rest of the game at center. They listed him as a guard here, but he obviously isn't. Um, because, he well, he started as a guard, and then instead of just pulling him like they pulled the rest of the guys, they moved him as sort of the backup center. Played 40 snaps at center, and then Michael Manette came in, got his six snaps at center, and that was the end of that. Right guard, a um, little bit convoluted. You almost had just like a big shift. So Jake Hansen was sort of the starting right guard. Royce was the starting right tackle. After the 17 snaps, Hansen went to center. Royce went to guard. <laughs> so you had Jake Hansen start with his 17 snaps. Royce, they gave uh, his 17 at right tackle, gave him 19 more at right guard, and then they gave the rest of the game to Sean Ryan for 27 snaps, which again did not go very well. And then at right tackle, again, Royce Newman played seven, 17. Uh, Zach Tom got the rest of the 40. And then uh, Cole Van Lannan actually switched over to right tackle for six reps over there. So anyways, that's all I got for the offense. Again, if you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We will take a quick break and we will be right back to take a look at the defense. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news. So don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's us days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All righty, let's take a look at the defense. Not the greatest in the world. Again, it was, it was, it was a weird performance to watch because as you're watching it, it didn't really give you the satisfaction you were hoping for. The pass rush didn't seem to be there. It didn't feel as suffocating. Granted, Ian Book suddenly became like Russell Wilson. Dude just had wheels and could take off. I don't know what happened there. But, um, I mean, you know, they still stopped him when it mattered, so that's good. But uh, only four players out of 24 had good grades. That's it. So it's going to be a little bit depressing going through some of the defensive stuff. Not that we need to be overly depressed necessarily because most of these guys are not going to be starters anyway, so it doesn't really matter all that much. But it still stinks. You know, some of these guys are going to be playing and you want them to do a little bit better than they did. Um, We'll start with the positive. Guys with good grades. Biggest development, Quay Walker, 71.3 overall grade, which is nice because, again, he didn't have the greatest grade last week. He went from a 56 to a 71, so positive movement there. Uh, third highest was Keandre Thomas, 82.1 overall grade. Micah Abernathy with an 82.9. And then Ladarius Hamilton with an 87.7 overall grade. He graded out fairly well in just about every category, but run defense was really his biggest thing. On the negative side of things, and this is where things get depressing, and, and it's kind of the second week in a row the defensive line has been the biggest letdown. Lowest graded player was Jonathan Ford. That's two weeks in a row now he's graded out pretty poorly. 29.8 overall grade week one, 26.8 um, this past week. So a lot of hype about Jonathan Ford, but via PFF, absolutely not impressed. Um, he has one pressure on 25 attempts so far through this preseason. Second lowest grade, Devontae Wyatt. Now, it's his first preseason game, et cetera, et cetera. Give him time, all that. But it still sucks to see the guy not only not do well, but a 29.7 overall grade, 29.7 run defense grade, 49 pass rush grade, zero pressures on 16 attempts, basically just nothing doing. Other guys that were, let's say, well, in the 40s, I guess, sub-50 grades, Ray Wilborn, a little bit surprising. I thought he had a slightly better day than that. Ty Summers, not even a little bit surprising. Kingsley and Igbare, that's going to upset a lot of people, but it really wasn't his pass rush. It was his tackling. Um, he did have a missed tackle. He had one tackle and one missed tackle, which is not a very good ratio at all Miss when you miss 50% of your tackles and whatnot. But he did have four pressures on 24 attempts, so that's 16.7%. That's a great number. Still, overall, not great. Jack Heflin, another defensive lineman, 48.7. Tipa Nalii, 49.3. Chris Slayton, 52 TJ Slayton, another defensive tackle, 53. Vernon Scott, 54. Chauncey Manick, 55. And KB Ento, 57. So all of those guys were below average to bad. Then you got your average crew, which is Sean Davis, Rico Gafford, Shamar Jean Charles, Jonathan Garvin, Kobe Jones, Isaiah McDuffie, Chris Barnes, and Keyshawn Nixon. That was from lowest to highest, but all of them in the 60s, ranging from 60 to 66, so not that big of a difference. Looking individually uh, in, in their run defense or different categories, run defense, the guys that really struggled, Jonathan Ford, 25 overall grade. Again, this is the, the problem with this is you're a defensive tackle. This is where you should thrive. 
of the six lowest run defense grades, four of them are defensive tackles. Jonathan Ford, Devontae Wyatt, Ty Summers, Ray Wilborn, Chris Slayton, and Jack Heflin. Two linebackers and four defensive tackles in the bottom six. Uh, the, the absolute worst of the worst, though, Jonathan Ford, 25 overall grade. Devontae Wyatt, 29 overall grade. twenty uh, Not overall, run defense grade. Ty Summers, 31. Ray Wilborn, 37. After that, it jumps up to the 50s. The guys that did really well, Kobe Jones, 76. Sean Davis, 77. Chris Barnes, 78. Ladarius Hamilton, 82. Tackling was actually a pretty big problem for a lot of guys. Kind of rare. I feel like the Packers have been doing a good job tackling, but not in this game. It, I have a feeling a lot of this is Ian Book because I, I saw him. I saw so many missed tackles on Ian Book. It drove me insane. But um, nine guys out of uh, out of twenty, seventy overall grades or higher. The the three that had really good grades: Micah Abernathy, Ray Wilborn, and Sean Davis. But the guys that struggled: Vernon Scott, twenty three overall grade. I got to stop saying overall. TJ Slayton, 25, Rico Gafford, 27, Kingsley, 28, Chauncey Manick, 28, Ty Summers, 33. After that, you got uh, Slayton at 45 and Isaiah McDuffie at a 54. Pass rush, only two good grades. By the way, they never give good pass rush grades. This is like the same with like punters and kickers. If you have like a 70 or an 80 overall pass rush grade, you are a freak. That's why when Rashawn had a really good grade last year, it's like this guy's actually really good. Because you look at the stats and, and it doesn't matter. A lot of these guys still did not have great grades. The lowest was 49, so none of them were terrible. But Ladarius Hamilton, 70 overall grade, and then Isaiah McDuffie with an 81 overall grade. That was it. The only one below a 50 was Devontae Wyatt at 49. Pretty much the rest of the team was all 50s. Um, so I'm not going to go through it all. Coverage, only two good grades. Micah Abernathy, 81.9. Keandre Thomas, 82.3. Um, the only bad ones, uh, Tipa Nalii was the worst at 44.8. Sean Davis, 52, Chris Barnes, 54, Vernon Scott, 54, KB Nento, 56. Everyone else was average. Some of the pressure statistics. Here's who got what. First of all, let's start with the negative. Guys that had a bunch of opportunities and didn't do much. Devontae Wyatt, again, 16 opportunities, no pressures. Jonathan Ford, 16 opportunities, no pressures. And Jack Heflin, 21 opportunities and no pressures. Um, Kobe Jones had one pressure which was a hurry on 17 attempts, which is pretty low. I mean, it's, it's you know, you, you if you have one, it's low. If you have two, it's it's high. So it's not that many opportunities, but whatever. Uh, TJ Slayton had one pressure on seven opportunities, so that's obviously perfectly fine. That was a hurry. Ray Wilborn, hilariously, one pressure, one sack on zero opportunities. I remember Kevin King had that before as well. I think he had two sacks on zero opportunities because it wasn't a he wasn't rushing the passer. I think he, the quarterback was breaking the pocket, and he tackled him behind the line of scrimmage, which counts as a sack. Um, Chris Slayton had two pressures on 30 opportunities. You love to see two pressures, but on 30 opportunities, that's sub-10%, so not super great. Ladarius Hamilton, two on 12 attempts, one hit and uh, one hurry. Chauncey Manick, three on 12 attempts, which is incredibly high. That's 25%. That includes a sack and two hurries. Again, no idea how he has a 54 overall pass rush grade, but I guess the other ones were him just falling on his face. I don't know. Uh, Tipa Naliai had three on nine attempts, which is 33%, obviously, which is incredible, but all three were hurries. And then uh, Kingsley was the only one with four. All four were hurries, again, on 24 attempts. Stops, about half the defense had at least one stop. However, 12 out of the 24, I think it was. Um, guys with multiple stops, Keandre Thomas had two, Chris Slayton two, Ray Wilborn three, and Isaiah McDuffie with four. I'm just, I'm, I'm, don't really care about the grades. I'm, I'm excited about the game Isaiah McDuffie had. 
Looking at some of the coverage statistics, the most targeted was Chris Barnes. Six targets, four receptions, 32 yards, and a pass breakup. I'm fine with that. That was a pretty pass breakup, too. Um, you know, four receptions isn't great, but you're only talking 32 yards, no damage as far as touchdowns, and you had a pass breakup. For a linebacker, I'm good with that. Keandre Thomas, no surprise there that he had an 82.3 overall grade. I do remember them continually trying to target him in the in the red zone, but four targets and zero receptions with one pass breakup. That's a heck of a day for Keandre. Keyshawn Nixon, three targets, three receptions, 19 yards. Ray Wilborn, two targets, two receptions, 13 yards. Micah Abernathy, two targets, one reception, and a pick. Heck of a day. Um, KB Anento, two targets, one reception, six yards. Don't care. Isaiah McDuffie, one target, one reception, 18 yards. Stings a little bit, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Sean Davis, one target, one reception, and gave up a touchdown, which obviously that's that's what's going to hurt you as far as your your coverage grade. Um, Ty Summers, one target, one reception, negative two yards. Rico Gafford, one target, one reception, 11 yards. Shamar Jean Charles, one target, zero receptions. Obviously, he was penalized on that one. I could not care any less. And if his grade is negatively reflected as a result of that, which I understand you probably don't want to be subjective on penalties and be like, eh, I'm not counting that. But still, that was a complete BS call. Real quick, want to look at uh, snap counts. A couple interesting things here, and, and, and I don't know necessarily about, you know, it's interesting because the guys that don't get a lot of snap counts, there's, there's well, there's three reasons it can happen. Number one, they're injured. Maybe that's a mild injury that you're trying to put them on a limited snap count opportunity or something that happened during the game. Number two, you're not very good and we don't really care. In other words, you're low down the totem pole of guys that we want to see. Or number three, you're basically a lock. The defender with the least amount of snaps was Jonathan Garvin. Right above Jonathan Garvin is Keyshawn Nixon. And above him is Quay Walker, right? <laughs> and, and, and Slayton. So, we, so some of these we know. Slayton had limited opportunities because he's 100% the guy. Quay Walker, 100% the guy. Keyshawn Nixon, probably because he's low man on the totem pole. But Jonathan Garvin, seven snaps. But here's another question. We're really thin at edge, right? Sat out two edge rushers. The Packers probably have a pretty good idea who number three is. How much risk do you want to take at a premium position with a guy that's going to be playing a lot if you know he's your number three? I'm putting a circle around Jonathan Garvin as the number three edge rusher. They gave him three, seven opportunities, and they said, get him out of there. Similar to the amount of opportunities they gave Quay last week. Why? He's a starter. We want him to play every single snap, basically, every single down in the coming season. He got 12 this week. We don't, I mean, we want him out there, but we really don't want him out there. You look at some of the other contenders for that spot. The next lowest was Chauncey Manick. He had 15 opportunities. Everyone else was in the 20s. Tipa had 22, Ladarius Hamilton had 24, Kobe Jones had 28, Kingsley had 34. They want to see a ton of Kingsley, plus, you know, probably want to give him as much exposure and, and experience as possible. Garvin had, and again, if he got injured or something, then, then I completely stand corrected. But he only played 11 snaps last week. It seems to me Jonathan Garvin's the guy. That's it. Done deal. Which is kind of what I thought coming into this whole thing, but they've been doing some weird stuff, and it seems like this guy's getting first team this, and he's getting... Garvin at one point, I think, was on third team, which was really weird. But based on the very limited usage, I think Garvin is like the most protected guy out there on the field. He's the number three edge rusher. They do not want to risk losing him. It's my assumption based on all of this. Linebackers, I hate to give you the bad news. Chris Barnes had the least amount of snaps. Not by a super wide margin, but Chris Barnes, 19. McDuffie, 24. 
And then Summers, well, Quay obviously had less, but I'm talking about behind the behind the starters. Um, Ty Summers and Ray Wilborn were in the 30s. So it would seem to me that Chris is probably the most protected out of the group. Defensive tackle, there isn't a ton to see there. Uh, you know, TJ Slayton, only 13 opportunities. Everybody else had a bunch more. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into the nuance of Devontae Wyatt had 26 and Jonathan Ford had 29, and so that's how much more Devontae Wyatt is than Jonathan Ford. I'm not saying that it's down to that minutia. But when you see massive discrepancies of 20, 30, 40 snaps and TJ Slayton at 13, well, it's for obvious reasons. He's a big piece, piece of what they want. They're very excited about him. He's DT number four. They want him to play a lot, and so they're protecting him. And um, similar with the corners, nothing really to glean a ton from Keyshawn Nixon and KB and Ento. Um, significantly less. Nixon 12, Ento 21. <laughs> it's actually pretty staggering. Keyshawn 12, Ento 21, Gafford 35, Thomas 45, Shamar 52. So 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I don't know what to glean from that other than they wanted Shamar on the field a ton. So again, I'm not, I'm not going to read too much into the DBs. I don't know exactly what that means, but I, I, those are my thoughts on some of the snap counts there. Finally, special teams. KB Ento making his name for himself on special teams. He did it last year. He didn't get a chance to play, but this two years in a row in the preseason, he crushed it as a special teamer. So um, I don't know if he's doing himself any favors on defense necessarily, but... Um, He's, he's clearly established himself as a solid special teams player. And as bad as special teams looked, I think they got to look extra hard at, at maybe trying to find a spot for Ento. He was the only one with a positive grade on the entire special teams. And again, 70-some-odd overall grade last preseason. So he's been very consistent in his abilities as a special teamer. Um, other guys, guys that graded kind of good, I guess, Patrick Taylor, uh, Devontae Cross, who was just brought in, and Ray Wilborn. Real important thing with Patrick Taylor, they, they, J- Matt LaFleur basically came out and said, you know, if you're uh, going to be that, that the running back three spot is going to come down to special teams. And Patrick Taylor has consistently been that guy. He's been the higher graded special teamer, um, at, well, every week so far. Now, the only caveat here is that Goodson is being used as a returner and he's the only one that is. And last year, the guy that we kept was kept as a kick returner. So, that's Goodson's spot. That's if he's going to have a, a role, he's got to win that kick return spot, or or possibly just be a good enough kick returner. Because I think if you're maybe the number two, maybe they'd tag you along just because, in case I don't know, who knows. But right now, I I think Patrick Taylor is probably the guy because he's the better special teamer. Jack Coco was the fifth highest graded, so give him credit for that. Guys that graded out poorly, pretty much everybody was right in the 60s, but 53 overall for Ty Summers. 53 for Ladarius, 51 for Keandre Thomas, 49 for Samori Ture, 49 for Tipa Naliai, uh, 47 for Shamar Jean Charles, 39 for Sean Davis, 36 for Dexter Williams, which obviously really hurts him and his chances, which were already very close to zero. And then 29 overall for Kingsley Anagbar. I'm just going to alternate how I say it every single time I say his name. Uh, field goals, obviously, I mean, 66 overall grade. Again, it's hard to get really good grades, but two for two on extra points, two for two on field goals. Not much else to say about that. Pat O'Donnell, 62.5 overall grade, four punts, 48.8 average, 45 was the net, 61 was his long, three of them kicked inside the 20, 50% of his kicks were returned, 4.21 average hang time. And then finally, the returns, nobody really graded out very well, 60 overall grade for 
Uh, Amari, 60 for Ishmael Hyman, 59-9 for Rico Gafford. Um, Rico had the only one kick return for 18 yards. The two punt returners, Ishmael had one for 14 yards. Amari Rogers had two for nine yards, averaging 4.5 yards per return. So, you know, it is what it is. But no buff muffed punts or kick returns or anything. It was just a clean, perfect day in that regard. So anyways, I think that's about it. Um, I did see something about Andrew Booth ended up getting hurt in the game. Looks like it was non-contact, which is always scary. Um, He just kind of went down. Uh, I did see an update that it was an ankle injury. I doubt there's going to be any more information right now. He was ruled out for the rest of the game with an ankle injury. George Pickens, by the way, two receptions, six yards. We caught another one for zero yards. Well done. Can't stop him. No stopping that train. Anyways, you guys have yourselves a great night. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com